Would you join with me in showing your appreciation to Jess and Katie for leading us in this direction? You know, there's, there's lots of things that we could say about what we believe about the gospel. Um, and I, I don't think anyone, if you've, if you've been a part of Conduit or my, my hope and my, my prayer is that, is that you would know how, um, how our desire here is to be completely gospel-centered. And uh, we believe, I believe, that the gospel is, uh, I guess in a, in a manner of speaking, is holistically redemptive. And we often think of it as only having power to redeem the soul. Right? That we, we, we surrender our lives to Jesus. Right? And, and in that surrender, our our soul is saved for eternity. And you're going to get no argument from me on that one. That the gospel uh, redeems us eternally. Well, we also believe that the gospel um, is not just spiritually redemptive, it's holistically redemptive. And so when we, when we speak of things and when we say things like um, that our... Our vision here, our understanding of the gospel makes us say things like we envision seeing wholeness and redemption in our homes and in our churches and in our cities. And then we go about describing what we believe that that means, that when, that when wholeness and redemption, that when the holistic redeeming power of the gospel floods over our homes, floods over our churches, floods over our cities, that it doesn't just mean the redemption, the eternal redemption of people's souls, but it means the, the here and now redemption of their very lives. That, that marriages are, are either, they're, they're made new, they're strengthened, they're redeemed and made whole, that the chains of mental illness and addiction are broken, that there is socioeconomic revival in, both in people's lives and in the city, um, that there is a whole host of everyday practical things that we see the gospel healing, making new, and bringing wholeness to. Part of the holistic redemption work of the gospel and part of the ministry of Jesus was to take those who were either uh, pushed to the outside or who were vulnerable, right, and bring them to the middle. To not, to not settle uh, for an us and them, um, to speak for those who have been marginalized, speak for those who are experiencing unjust situations and environments, um, sometimes without their, without, without any, um, un, under no consequence of their own actions. And so when you look at statistics of people's, uh, when you look at the statistics that exist in New York State, specifically in Chautauqua County, and you see that there is a whole group of particularly young girls who because of their life situations, maybe because of their family of origin, or maybe what has happened in their own 
personal lives or something that has happened to them or something that has happened by them, that it puts them now in this really, really vulnerable category. It puts us in, in this really vulnerable place where, where now they are seeking things like acceptance and love and belonging and security in places that really only create more destruction in their lives. And then you have the local church over here. And you have, you have a group of people, that's us, right? And, and, and dozens and dozens and dozens of other local churches who proclaim that we are gospel-centered people. We are a gospel-centered family. And, and we believe that the gospel can change not just your um, eternal destination, but your temporal or your earthly circumstance. I believe that. I, I believe in the power of the gospel to change, to change that. Okay? And so to think that if we know an issue exists over here, and we believe with every fiber of our being, that the answer is the gospel. And, and, and we are the proclaimers of the gospel, then shame on us. Right? Shame, shame on us for not being, for not being involved. I have, I have three daughters that I've adopted out of the foster care system. Right? That means statistically that they're, that they're um, that they're, uh, the, the attachment that they have with other people is, is vulnerable because of the, their early circumstances and lives, right? So, so this is not just a, out there somewhere in the movies or in big cities where vulnerable young girls are being taken advantage of because they are seeking security, love, fulfillment, belonging someplace else. But it's happening here. It does happen here. And happening here so much so that it happened, it can happen, you just even in my own home. So um, while it may while it may come while it may be communicated to you this morning as a brand new idea. I, a full disclosure, I had to be convinced of the statistics as well. Right? I, had to be, I had to be led to that place to be like, well, no, human trafficking is like when a girl gets kidnapped off the street and is flown overseas and is sold to like some man in another country. Like it's, just, it, it's, it's a movie thing. And, and I, I had to be led to understand as well how, um, how this works in New York State, how it works in Chautauqua County, how what's happening around us every day, right? And so I, knew, I know that the information is new to you this morning. What I'm, what I'm asking and what I'm encouraging you to do, as I have done, is to be willing uh, to follow uh, your leaders like Jess, Katie, who have been steeped in this and who feel and who have received a calling in ministry to begin to address this in a, in a way maybe that the church can. 
and to get involved in the ways that you feel led, whether that's a sponsorship uh, of a young girl or one of their caregivers, then that's a great, that's a great start. And whether it's a volunteering at an event or at the event, both before, during, or after, or whether it's being part of the, the follow-up programs that will follow in these, uh, for these young girls, um, I would encourage you to do that. I wanted, I wanted to say, you know, I, I, I didn't want there to be any confusion about my support of this, about, about my investment in this, but the, the, the importance that I believe that this has, both for us as a ministry to be involved in this, to encourage other churches to be involved in this, but also just, aside from just a church, as, as a person, as people who believe in the transforming power of the gospel. So I'm asking you to be involved as well. Can we like clean break and transition now? All right. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would write your word on our heart this morning. That uh, we would hear, we would hear your word spoken to us through your spirit. Lord, that it would take root deep within our souls. That we would not be the same people uh, when we leave as we were when we came. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many people uh, found that they um, were doing a lot, a lot of, how many people were here last week? So you were here last week, or you listened to the sermon online, all right. So how many people um, found themselves having to do a lot of like Ephesians 4 type of filtering throughout the week? Yes? All right, yeah, me too, okay? It seems like, um, you know, like I shared with you, I shared with you last week how um, how it's like we, you see, sometimes we preach sermons just to ourselves as preachers, and that was one of those sermons that you preach just to yourself, at, uh, you know, kind of the crucible under which I've been discipled the last 15 years of ministry is being slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. But the, uh, the Ephesians 4 test is something that we talked about, like, okay, is the words that I'm about to say is the way that I want to respond in this situation. Does it pass this particular test, so to speak? And that Ephesians 4 test would be this. From, we, we said it's from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, where Paul says that we are to not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, even though we're moving on this week in the series uh, in Proverbs to um, integrity, my encouragement for you would be to continue to revisit what we talked about last week as well, as you ask the Lord to consistently stand guard over your mouth, right? Over, the, over our tongue because of how much power the tongue has, that we want to be a people who speak life into others rather than speak destruction into their lives. Uh, and so revisit that sermon if you would like on the app or, um, or on the website. Share it 
um, ask the Lord to, to speak to you uh, through it. Uh, but this week, we're, we're moving on to talk about uh, integrity. Wisdom for integrity. And um, uh, Proverbs talks um, some, some about integrity specifically, and then some about the idea of integrity generally. Right? Uh, when it talks about the, uh, the, the righteousness or the blamelessness, both in the public I, but also in the private life of a person. And when it, when it comes to the issue, uh, or when it comes to the idea of integrity, uh, there, are, there are two primary questions that we want to, we should, be asking ourselves regularly. And they're uh, these two questions. Number one is, who am I when no one is around? And that's a question that only you can ask, or you, only you can answer, right? Who am I when no one else is around? When there's, when there's no one to impress, when there's no one holding me accountable, when there are no little kids around, right? When I'm not at work around my coworkers or my boss or anything like that. Um, when I'm not trying to impress, who am I when no one else is around? And then maybe an equally important question is this one, is that who am I when everyone is around? Who am I when, like, my whole life is on display? And we live in an interesting world now because if you're on social media, part of the idea is to make your whole life be on display, right? That you have, that, that, that people who never would have a, an idea about what was going on in your life or who you are, they now have a picture into your world. And they have a, if, they're, if we're honest, they have a particular picture into your world, the picture that you paint. And so the question or the dichotomy, right, the distance between the two answers of who am I when no one is around and who am I when everyone is around, that can kind of like shrink really, really quick, the distance between those two answers because we've essentially for lack of a better term, giving people a window into our lives. And uh, what, what I want to propose this morning is that um, the closer those two answers are, who am I when no one is around, and who am I when everyone is around, the closer those two people are, the more integrity we have. Okay? Um, see, Jesus, Jesus kept company with really two, two types of people. You know, if, if, like if you were going to ask the question, who am I when no one is around? Well, I'm kind of the worst version of myself, maybe, right? Who am I when everyone is around? Well, I'm kind of the best version of myself, maybe, right? And, and Jesus, he, he spent time with, really kept company with two different types of people. The, the first type of 
person that he liked to spend a lot of time with, and I think is who he preferred. When you find Jesus being most compassionate and most merciful and most full of grace and like the lovey-dovey Jesus that we all like to paint a picture of is when he was interacting with uh, people whose brokenness, whose vulnerability, whose sin, they just wore all over their, their shirt sleeves, right? There was like, there was no trying to fake it. There was no like um, Instagram filter on their life. Like it just was what it was. It is what it is. This is who I am. It is like, yeah, I am, man, Jesus, I just need, I need help. And I ain't even trying to hide it. This is, this is who I am. And Je- you, what you'll see is that Jesus ran to those people and was so gentle with those people and was so affirming of those people and was so encouraging of those people. Showed so much grace. So, so show much, showed so much understanding. Um, defended those people. Stood in between those who knew their stuff wasn't working and those who thought their stuff was working and stood as a giant shield between those who were humble and vulnerable about their lives and those who were not. And those who were not is where we see in the Gospels Jesus being most harsh with people. And when you ask questions about, like, well, when was Jesus what we would even consider rude? Was Jesus rude? Well, I don't know. Maybe you don't want to use it in, like, the pejorative sense. But was Jesus straightforward and harsh and somewhat rude? I think by uh, contemporary standards, we would have considered Jesus rude sometimes. Because he would look directly at a religious leader. Someone who was leading the people of Israel in the observance of the law and following like God the Father. And they said, hey, look, you, you are making these people twice the son of hell that you are. Really. So to say that Jesus only spoke in the most gentle or kind or graceful ways is a half-truth because with those who, um, uh, because he was very harsh with those whose righteousness existed only when other people were watching. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that Jesus isn't going to need to be harsh with us, right? Because our righteousness only exists when others are watching. But we want to make sure that uh, we stand, that we close the gap between who we are when no one is watching and who we are when everyone is watching so that we're, there's not a dichotomy of people that exists. There's just me. There's just me. Now, no pictures, okay? Um, but the idea here is that, you know, we use this word in Christianity. Jesus used it sometimes too, right? He, he, used, he used the word 
Um, Batman. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hypocrite, right? He used the word hypocrite. And there is probably no word... I said no pictures. <laughs> there, is probably, there is probably no word that strikes at the heart of someone trying to follow Jesus than the word hypocrite, right? Because we are all so like, we, no one wants to be considered a hypocrite. No one wants to be called that. But the word hypocrite in scripture, it's a, it's a Greek word, okay? Um, I see you. It's a, <laughs> it's a Greek word, right? And it comes from the, where it finds itself is in the theater, Okay? It's a Greek word that was found in the theater. It's from the word, uh, basically, the, there, in, in each major play, right, in Greek life, there was, there was a character called the hypocrite, or in most Greek plays. And the hypocrite, you would always know who the hypocrite was because they would come on stage wearing a mask. And the mask was meant to try and conceal the true identity and actions of the person. But it was intentionally like half a mask so that everyone really kind of knew that the hypocrite was a totally different person. That this wasn't real, right? That, that the real person existed when the mask was taken off. Like the real person doesn't, didn't wear a mask. All right? And so when we, talk about, um, when we talk about the wisdom of integrity, we're talking about a person who never lives with a mask on. Who, whose character and personhood and intentions aren't called into question. See, because the reality is is that some of us have become very accustomed to waking up every morning and putting our mask on, right? And quite honestly, some of you only know the Cameron that wears a mask, right? And, and some of you only know only allow people to see the version of you that wears a mask. And we think that we, uh, we think that we will escape the reality of our mask ever being torn off of us and showing the world and showing those around us who we really are and what's really going on in our life. Proverbs uh, chapter 5 we draw our attention there this morning. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 begins to unravel the idea that we can forever hide behind the mask that we put on every day. In Proverbs 5, verse 21, it says this. For your ways are in full view of the Lord. And he examines all of your paths. We begin in a place of comfort 
thinking that, well, we can take this part of me and I can hide it behind this mask, right? That, that no one will be the wiser to see who I truly am. But Scripture declares, and in our heart, we all know that, that we can't fully hide. We can't ever fully hide. Because who we truly are is always in full view of the Lord. He always sees past the mask into who we truly are. Anyone here buy a house recently or searching for a house? No? Okay. Oh, Thundercat. Thundercat Staley is. Um, Alright, so listen. When you go like let's say you go on Zillow, right, to look for a house. Or maybe you're, you know, your, your neighbor's house goes up for sale and you're really nosy and you've never seen inside of it and so you go to the website and say, well, I'm going to go see what their house is like, right? Right? And you, so you're looking, you're looking at houses to buy. And what do we typically look at when we look at houses to buy? I mean, we look at the high dollar things that are like the finishes of the house, right? Like what kind of kitchen cabinets does it have or countertops? Is, the, is it like, um, is it tile floor? Is it linoleum flooring? Is it hardwood flooring? Like, is there crown molding? What's the like, what, tell me about all of like the nice details of the house and how big are the bedrooms and how tall are the ceilings? We see, we see the fine finishes. And that... Ask any real estate agent, right, is what generally sells houses. Right? That's why we have in the United States a flipping house industry, right? Because you, you flip the house, add some nice finishes, people see the curb appeal, so to, so to speak, and the value of the house um, automatically goes up. Listen, here's what... Um, here's what the uh, living a life, pursuing integrity, the wisdom of integrity um, should communicate to us is that God is not impressed at all, one single bit, with the finishes of our life. God, God, is, God, is, not, God is not impressed with the spit and shine, right? God is not impressed with, um, with the, the mask that's being worn, God is not impressed with the marble countertops or the nice cabinets. God is not impressed with the beautiful hardware or the refinished hardware floors. God is not impressed with the finishes of our lives. God is impressed with the foundation of our life. God is impressed with that foundation. I've built a few things in my life, right? And um, one, of the, one of the realities of the building industry... Um, is that if you don't take your time when you're setting a foundation, when you get to the finishes, you'll be really sorry. If you set a footer out of square or out of level, and then you follow that out of squareness, you follow that out of level up to the foundation walls, and then you're framing the floor, and then you put the walls up, and then all of a sudden none of your windows fit. And then because none of your windows fit, none of your trim fits. And then because you didn't pour a good enough footer, then in about six months or so when it rains or when the soil conditions 
start to change, what happens? You notice a crack in the drywall over there, and then all of a sudden your windows won't close or open because everything's pressing in or expanding out. And now you can have a beautiful, brand new, glitzy and glammy house, all of the modern finishes that you could possibly want, but none of it works, and it's falling down around you. Because it is never the finishes that are the most important thing. It's always the foundation that's the most important thing. It is always the thing that everything else is built upon that matters in the long run. The finishes may look great while you're trying to sell something to someone else, right? But it will always catch up with you if you have issues in the foundation. Always. Of course, Jesus spoke about this numerous times in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 7, for instance, those who build their house on the sand, right? The rains come, the winds blow, the waters rise, and the house washes away. Because even just a little bit of, um, a little bit of obstacle, when their foundation is not right, erodes everything else. I, I'm going to propose that integrity, the work of integrity, the life of integrity is like the person who spends the most amount of time on the foundation of a house. Setting the footer, preparing the soil, ensuring the stable foundation. Your integrity is not what everyone in the public sees. Integrity is the work that is done in private. Integrity is the work and the life that we live when no one is around to see it. It is work done in, for lack of a better term, in secret. But here's the amazing thing about the work that's done in secret. About the long um, hours, about the arduous work that it takes to set a footer and foundation on firm soil to make building conditions strong. Is that when we do the work in private... It shows in public. That when the work is done in private, we are always protected in public. Anyone ever been falsely accused of something? And when you're falsely accused of something, and you are relying only on the life that you have built. It is the foundation that you have set in private that ensures that you stand up under public scrutiny. Scripture talks about how integrity true integrity, the private life of integrity, 
protects us in those moments. For instance, Proverbs uh, chapter 10. We've got a couple of them in Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 9 says this. It says the, the man of integrity, the man of integrity walks securely. We walk, when you walk in integrity, you walk securely. I know that my, the, the foundation has been set, that, the, that the, the ground underneath my feet is like ground of solid rock. I'm not walking on, um, I'm not walking on sand. There is no reason to fear. I know that in my private life that I have been um, living in, in, in obedience to the Lord, in, in following His Word, right? But he who takes crooked paths will be found out. Also in the same chapter, chapter 10, verse 18, Nope, that's not it. Turn to uh, Titus, chapter 2. Man, Titus is one of those sword drill books, right? And I ever do sword drills as a kid? No? Just me? Okay. Sword drills, you know what sword drills are? It's like you all hold up your Bible and be like, and the youth pastor calls out, all right, Titus, chapter 2. Verses 7 and 8, go! And you all race to get there like as quick as you can. Titus is one of those where you're like, well, let's see if they know where Titus is. Got it? Go into the New Testament. Go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. Found it. Titus chapter 2, verses um, 7 and 8. Paul is writing his kind of disciple, Titus, this young man that he's been growing up in the faith and sending out and, and to serve churches, right? And he, he tells Titus this thing. He was like, so, so we all know, right, that we're going to experience... Um, going to experience difficulty in life. Sometimes that difficulty is going to be at the hands of other people, right? And sometimes your intentions are going to be misrepresented or someone's just going to have it out for you, right? And they're going to try, they're going to seek to assault your character. Uh, They're going to seek to ruin your reputation. They're going to seek to call into question your integrity, whether that be someone in your family or someone in business Right or a friend or something like that, they're going to seek to assault your integrity. Now, what do you have to stand on in those moments? Well, you don't you don't have a whole lot to stand on in terms of like your your public life, right? What what we want to stand on is we want to stand on the 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 confidence, right? That privately speaking, right? There is if if the veil had been pulled back on our lives, right? There would be there would be no difference between the way that we live publicly than the way that we live privately. And so what, Tite, Tite, or what Paul is telling Titus here 
he's like, look, you're not going to be able to avoid this, right? You're not going to be able to avoid people saying all kinds of horrible things about you. So live your life in private, conduct your ministry, so that when that moment comes, they have no ammunition. That it's all out there already. Titus chapter 2, verse 7, and everything set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say. Private integrity, private integrity secures a public reputation. Because integrity is never what is done in public. That's simply our reputation. Listen, integrity, integrity doesn't happen. Integrity is not built when you make really good, big decisions that everyone sees. Like, oh, that was an, in, that was an integrity move, that business decision that you made. That, that thing that you did because you promised that you were going to do it, but, but uh, that, and, the, and you, you did it as, an, that's not an integrity move, right? That, that's a, when you do things that everyone else sees, right, wrong, or an indifferent, indifferent, those are things that we do in order to maintain our reputation. But integrity is the thousands of little decisions that we make every day, every week, every month that no one else sees. It is the thousand little decisions that you make that no one will ever see, that no one will ever understand the consequences or rationale for. It's like, it's like when, you're, when you're pouring a footer of a house, you have a choice whether or not you're going to put like steel rebar reinforcement in the footer. No one's ever going to see if it's there or not. Right? But you know whether or not it's there, and someday the reputation of the house will show how strong the small decision of putting the reinforcement in the foundation really was. We often think that um, maintaining good reputation or integrity is about those really big decisions. But let me tell you, let me tell you what. It's not. Let me just tell you from experience, it's not. It is the thousand small decisions that you must make day in and day out. Here's what I want you, um, what I'm going to leave you with this morning, all right? Because there is this, there is this pull, there is this idea that in order to be a 
man or a woman or a person of integrity, that I must have like perfection of character. Integrity is not perfection of character. Integrity is not ensuring that I make every decision right and never do anything wrong. That's, that's not integrity. Uh, integrity does not mean perfection of character. Integrity is the transparency of character between our public life and our private life. That there's little to no gap between who we say we are and who we really are. Who we are when no one is around and who we are when everyone is around. What are we trying to hide What are we trying to conceal? How big is the mask that is on our face? And if we are men and women who are willing to walk in an unconcealed manner in life. I'm not saying like let everyone know your business and make sure that everyone knows how horrible of a person you were and all the thoughts that you had when the pastor got in the way of the Bills game because he was going on too long, right? I'm not saying... I'm not saying you got to let everyone know your business, but I was saying there's a, there's a humility of spirit, there's a humility of heart that says, I refuse to conceal who I really am as a person simply um, so, so, that, so that everyone can see how beautiful the finishes of my life are. Proverbs chapter 28 Verse 13 is where we'll close this morning. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Integrity is the transparency of our character that refuses to conceal the brokenness of our heart in our pursuit of the mercy of Jesus. Over the next few weeks, we'll be closing up our um, series in Proverbs. We have a few. Um, we have a few good. Topics of wisdom coming up. Um, as we talked last week, uh, talked a little bit to you about um, open houses, or or open houses are the the terms that we use here for small groups. And um, we began having our uh, small group sign up in the foyer on the way out, and we're going to finish that uh, this morning as you walk out into the foyer to your right you're going to see the um, all of the information that Katie and uh, Jessica shared with you about Brave and there's a card that you can take if you want to sponsor a girl or sponsor a caregiver or some invitations that you can take to pass out to girls that fit that age range you can also talk to them about the event talk to them about the the Brave uh, movement get as much information as you feel like you want or need Um, As you walk out of the doors, outside on the sidewalk, you're going to see 
the sign-up sheets for all of the small groups that we have going on this fall. Um, and uh, ask our small leaders here in a minute uh, to come up front so we can pray for them and then head out there so that if you want to talk to them about a group to get involved in, um, then, uh, then you can as they're out there. Also, remember that today, after church, immediately after church, downstairs in the green room, there is a, um, there is a training session, informational session, both for current um, Conduit Kids volunteers and anyone interested in becoming a Conduit Kids volunteer. Um, and it'll be immediately after church today. And then we're going to hold the same training tomorrow night at 6 p.m. All right? And you don't have to come to both. You only have to come to one. And we're going to be going over um, the new C uh, Conduit Kids volunteer uh, handbook, the book that kind of helps guide the ministry and work of Conduit Kids, a super important ministry that we would, would you indulge me for like two more minutes just to talk about Conduit Kids? That'd be all right? Okay, I'm getting a half-half here, so we'll, we'll go with the half that said yes. Um, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of different perspectives on children's ministry. And there is a perspective that says that, well, all of the adults are up here at the sanctuary, and we're doing the serious work of worshiping God and uh, learning the scripture and being in fellowship with one another and and this is serious stuff and we need to do it without distraction and we need to do it fully focused and uh, and so if we can just send our kids to the basement all right and um, convince a few, uh, a few poor souls to babysit them while we do the important spiritual work up here then um, then we can leave, you know, on a good footing for the week, right? We don't believe that. Uh, we don't believe that that is responsible. That's not the way that we'll, that's not the way that we intend to do children's ministry uh, here. We believe that um, there is no junior Holy Spirit. There's, there's no like, well, we have the Holy Spirit for the adults, right? With the real Holy Spirit. And then we have like JV JV Holy Spirit that teaches them about David Goliath and lets them do coloring sheets downstairs while all of us stay up here and drink coffee. All right. uh, we believe that we have a crucial and critical responsibility to disciple them in the faith, to lead them in worship, to help them gather in community and fellowship with one another, to teach them and lead them um, in prayer, to help them become disciples of Jesus Christ. Not disciples someday when they understand it. No, disciples now, following Jesus Christ in whatever capacity they have to understand what that means, just like we disciple you to follow Jesus Christ in whatever capacity you have to understand what that means, okay? Listen, we also understand that children's ministry is not easy. 
It is not easy. It is about as easy to lead as a pastor and as a staff as it is, as you can imagine, all right? And we understand that there are, and always will be, and always have been, little things, big things here and there that need improvement, that need to change, that we need to go in a different direction. Listen, I'll tell you, I am absolutely committed absolutely committed to ensuring that Conduit Kids as a ministry and every ministry that we do here at Conduit is done in the most excellent way that we are capable of. And yes, that does mean that we're not always going to get it right. And yes, that does mean that we're going to need to make changes here or there logistically or to schedules or expectations or programming or whatever. But our commitment is to always pursue getting it right is to always pursue leading those kids in a way that honors and glorifies God. Um, and so, if you've experienced frustration as you've served before in any ministry, in I Am Loved, or a missional ministry, or in Conduit Kids, or in the nursery, or in hospitality, or whatever, guess what? Welcome to the club. Right? Welcome to the club. It happens all the time. All right? But what I'm asking is that would you see past your personal frustration and grab on to the heart of we want to do it better. We want to do it in a more excellent way. We're committed to this church. We're committed to these kids. We're committed to this ministry. We're committed, we're committed, we're committed to always be growing, always be doing it better. And that's what these two conduit kids trainings really they're all about is there's a lot of things that we've kind of rethought and kind of revamped and we want to share those with you so we can all start getting on a better and different page okay so even if you have not signed up but you want to still come see what it's all about to serve please do so okay um, tonight or today at noon or uh, tomorrow at 6 p.m. Okay, if you are a small group leader, an open house leader, and you'd be willing to come up and let me pray over you right now, I would invite you up right now. You can come stand up here in front, and we will pray over you. 